that's what we've been doing over the last uh, few Wednesday nights, and we'll spend a few more talking about it, and why not? I mean, we're living it, we're experiencing it, why not try to experience it to the hilt? We wouldn't be the first. Solomon made pretty valid, systematic, orchestrated, deliberate attempts at trying to squeeze out of his life real meaning and purpose. Thus far, if you've been with us, uh, we have seen that he's failed rather miserably, but to his credit, he's not yet ready to give up. And so we're going to see tonight what further uh, approach to life he gave himself to in his, well, fervent quest for meaning and purpose in life lived under the sun, that is to say, here on earth. So in uh, order to introduce to you what Solomon did, um, let me mention something to you. You are aware of the fact that there are two categories of things in our reality, and uh, we can refer to some as material things, and uh, we could refer to the second category as immaterial or non-material things. A material thing is something which you can apprehend with your senses. You can see it, you can you can touch it. So see, so this is a material thing. We see this object, we can we can touch this object. And because material things are so readily apprehended by our senses, uh, they occupy most of our attention. This is understandable and it's part of our nature. There's no stretch in trying to apprehend a material reality such as this. There it is. You see it, you touch it, you, you make your way around it, and so on. And because material things are so readily available to our senses, oftentimes they become the focus of our attention to the exclusion of what we could call non-material or spiritual things. Spiritual things are things like love and peace and joy and the very commodity Solomon was so passionately engaged in finding satisfaction and contentment in life. Those are spiritual things. So you have material realities and you have spiritual realities. If one's focus is unduly placed upon uh, material realities, that is something which we could call materialism. And it's a problem we have. And the reason why sometimes we are so obsessed and centered upon material things and are so materialistic is that we have been fooled, deceived into believing that somehow we could extract, we could derive from material things, things which are of spiritual value. So if I accumulate for myself enough material things, if I increase the volume of material things, possessions, wealth, those are material things, then somehow what will come from them are these spiritual things we mentioned, like love and joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction. 
action. And it's a malady, I must say, for all people, but maybe even more particularly for ones such as us in America. At least up until now, we've had plenty of financial wherewithal with which we could accumulate, stack up material things. A loving God may soon be bringing that to an end, and that will help us to loose our hold on material things. But it's poor judgment, it's a deceptive kind of a thinking uh, to cross the categories and assume I could receive spiritual blessing from the accumulation of material things. I could ignore spiritual realities and the source of spiritual blessing by simply acquiring for myself a sufficient quantity of material things. And so uh, that doesn't work. Perhaps you have found it. And, and the reason is we can only receive spiritual benefits from God, who is a spiritual or non-material being. Did you know that? God does not have a body. He occupied one in the form of the one who we worship, uh, Jesus Christ. He became an fleshed like one of us and that's why he did it so as to establish a connection with us he came for us he experienced what we experience and he died for us but God is spirit incorporeal he does not possess a body he's spiritual and one of the reasons why even those who possess so much of the world's material goods can come up short in the area of personal peace and satisfaction is that you cannot experience spiritual benefit and blessing except they come from the source thereof, and that's God who is a spiritual, non-material being. Well, there was a point in Solomon's life when he didn't get it, he didn't realize this, you see, and so he's on this horrible treadmill, this, well, to use his word, this striving after wind in a quest for meaning and purpose in life, and he's exhausted the obvious thus far pleasures, projects, and now he said, since they left him short, how about a quest for the accumulation of possessions. And so his search continues and he became the materialist probably who exceeded all materialists perhaps ever in human history. And so his appetite came to be almost insatiably in the direction of the acquisition of wealth. I will acquire stuff. That's what he set his mind to. He is going to try now to fill the void, the emptiness, the hole in his heart with an endless supply of material things. His own words are these. I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. 
Solomon possessed almost unlimited capacity and resources with which he could set about the acquisition of material things. And this he did. And what did he find at the end of it all? Well, he found rather simply that there are some things money cannot buy. The wealthiest, think about it, the wealthiest man in the world could not buy peace. You can't apply material things to the acquisition of spiritual benefit. They're two different categories. You must keep them apart. Plenty of material wealth, little spiritual peace. And so he said, he who loves money, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. This too, here's the other word for it, is futility. It's a striving after wind. Money, have you discovered it yet? cannot satisfy the longing of one's soul for meaning and purpose in life. You simply cannot acquire a sufficient volume of material things from which you could expect to derive spiritual blessing, the likes of peace and satisfaction and meaning and purpose and contentment. A study uh, done of American workers uh, revealed that the average American worker uh, thinks if he or she could increase income annually by eight to eleven thousand dollars per year, uh, then he or she would be able to live a more comfortable lifestyle. And the same study indicated when the average American worker has attained that level of increased annual income, when asked again, they gave the same answer. If only I could have still yet an additional volume of money in the amount of eight to $11,000, then I really would be comfortable. It just doesn't end. Now, folks, we are not saying that money, we're not saying that the skillful, diligent, wise capacity to acquire money is something to be avoided. No, not at all. There's nothing wrong either with money or the will and diligence and wisdom to earn it. What we are saying is that money can't buy peace. Money cannot purchase Contentment, money cannot give uh, the one who possesses it meaning in life. So having money is not the problem. Loving money is the problem. Remember a guy named John D. Rockefeller? Of course, the name Rockefeller is synonymous with wealth. You remember him. John D. Rockefeller was an extremely wealthy man. In fact, at the age of 53, he was the world's only billionaire. His earning capacity in his day, this was a while ago, 
uh, was $1 million per week. That's a lot. And yet his life was almost ruined by his insatiable appetite for wealth. He became sickly. He lived uh, in a miserly way on crackers and milk. Uh, His nights were spent without sleep. Once he was asked how much more money he needed, how much money was enough, and his answer was this, just a little bit more. It never ends if money is your God. Interestingly, when John D. Rockefeller began uh, to be moved to give away his money uh, for benevolent causes, interestingly, his health changed almost immediately for the better, and so he managed to live uh, to the ripe old age and to celebrate his 98th birthday. So you say, it isn't the skillful acquisition of money that we're preaching against. No, it's no problem at all to be diligent in acquiring wealth. It is not acquiring wealth that's the problem. It's the love of money. It's the hoarding of money. Well, it's the worship of money that is the problem. Why? You see, you cannot experience spiritual, non-material benefits Through the selfish acquisition of material things. It's not possible. Why not? Why can't a person really be fully satisfied with wealth? Well, I'll tell you why not. A loving God won't allow it. Why not? Because a loving God wants us each to find our rest in him. Don't you see it? He doesn't want us to settle for non-God sources of help pretenders to the throne. He doesn't want false gods like wealth, possessions, and money to captivate us unduly. He knows those things, material things, can meet our spiritual needs. We're created in the image of God. Don't you know that? God is spirit, so we have this spiritual nature as well. I'm not a rock. I'm not a tree, neither are you. I'm created in the likeness of God in his very image. I have a spiritual being, and those spiritual needs can only be met in the context of a relationship with the spiritual being who is God Almighty, and he loves us too much to let us settle for less than that which he wants to give us, and what is it? Well, it's a relationship with himself, the one that can satisfy our spiritual needs. And so that's why some of the world's richest people, Solomon and those after him, have everything except the capacity to be satisfied with what they have, the capacity to sleep, the capacity to have peace within. God does not want us to look for peace in all the wrong places. He wants us to Well, be miserable until we seek and find our peace with him, in him, and through him. And then we will have found peace indeed. Well, folks, not only can the compulsive accumulation of material things not satisfy Uh, It can also engender more problems than you can imagine. Solomon mentions one such problem. He said, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. Interesting. 
how many friends wealthy people have, so-called friends. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on someone has skillfully acquired wealth and someone now has all kinds of people wanting to take it from him? Solomon says, this is a big problem. He said, I became the world's number one materialist with a capital M. And I did it to try to find a sense of enjoyment. But instead, I found an ever-increasing line of takers all of a sudden showing me their friendship. Beckoning for my attention. Patting me on the back with one hand and putting their hand in their other hand in my pocket. So Solomon found that with increasing wealth and possessions uh, did not come increasing enjoyment. Actually, what came is increasing anxiety. He had to be on his guard against the takers as seeking to exploit his diligence his skillful acquisition of money. And so he said, this is not good. In fact, he said this, the sleep of the working man, the working guy is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man doesn't allow him to sleep. So with increasing stuff, he didn't find increasing peace. He found increasing stress and anxiety and sleeplessness. He couldn't sleep, except with one eye open on all those around him who were trying to take his stuff. That's a big problem, don't you see? So the quest for material gain in an attempt to fill the void within can hurt the materialist in many ways. Solomon has mentioned stress and anxiety. Here's still yet another way in which the materialist can bring hurt upon himself. Uh, when, says Solomon, when those riches were lost through a bad investment. How's your 401k? And he had fathered a son then there was nothing to support him. Not only is there increasing stress and anxiety with the person who's putting all of his stock in his stocks, uh, but there's no guarantee you're going to be able to hang on to it. There's all kinds of variables you can't control. I mean, the, the world's wisest economists don't seem to have a clue. That encourages me. <laughs> Nobody can fix it. That makes me happy. It's going to bring us to the point where we look to the Prince of Peace, don't you see? That's the act of a loving God who will narrow down the options uh, to only one live option, one viable option, and that is Him in a relationship with him. So not only are there sleepless nights and stress and anxiety because you've got this lineup of uh, endless takers, but, you know, bad investments and downturn in the economy and who knows what. It's, it's almost like anything uh, uh, affects the stock market. I don't understand this stuff except it's amazing to me. Something happens in Zanzibar and the thing goes down several points. 
That's just how closely connected is the world uh, community nowadays. And so here's the thing Solomon says. You know why this is such an exercise in futility? Why this is so crazy to give yourself to the accumulation of wealth? Not only you got a bunch of takers all of a sudden, but um, your wealth can be diminished through bad decisions and through variables and bad investments to such extent that you don't even have enough left to take care of the son you may have. You don't even have enough to leave to your family. Your stock portfolio, your, your, your capital can be so degraded by inflation and who knows what that you don't even have enough to take care of your son. You see how Solomon is lamenting. He's saying, look, nobody did it better. When it came to the acquisition of wealth in an attempt to find peace, nobody did it better. And it didn't work for me, said Solomon. I can't sleep. I got people smiling at me, but they don't like me. They just want what's in my wallet. And not only that, a million things could happen so that I don't even have anything left to bequeath to family members, needy family members who come after me. In other words, he said, I've loved it, but I can lose it like that. And that's the futility of seeking to acquire wealth as a means of giving meaning to life. And this idea of loving it and having lost it, well, you know as well as I do, that's happened often in human history, has it not? It's surely happening in our day. But I remember reading once about a man named William Durant. You may not be familiar with Durant, but he was the founder of General Motors. And how'd you like to be the ex-president of General Motors? Wow, these are interesting days. Anyway, Durant was the founder of General Motors, but not only that, also Chevrolet and Durant Motors. Durant Motors was established in 1921. It went completely under in 1933 after the Great Depression. I wasn't around at that point, but uh, Brother Chuck told me about it and <laughs> stuff like that. It's because you're, you're there. <laughs> so close. I cannot. Okay. So, um, so after this happened, Durant... Um, he filed for bankruptcy in 1936, and he lived out the rest of his life as the manager of a bowling alley in Flint, Michigan. There's no shame in that. I'm just trying to say, my heavens, he went from the top of the financial heap to much lower, just like that. Ulysses S. Grant was the, uh, you know about him, 18th president of the United States. He became a partner in a business that... Uh, also went suddenly under, went bankrupt. Later on in his life, he was dying uh, from throat cancer, didn't have enough money uh, to pay for uh, the bills and for his own medical treatment. And as a result, even in this weakened state of uh, medical affliction, uh, he forced himself to get up each day to write a memoir of his life for the sole purpose of selling it in order to make enough money to pay off his debts. Sad. 18th president of the United States. But you could say, ah, come on, Stuart. You're giving us the worst case scenario. Not everyone who's acquired wealth loses it like these guys. Well, you're kind of right about that. Except you're sort of wrong. <clears throat> Solomon had it pegged. Solomon says, you know, even if one manages to acquire wealth and hold on to it, 
throughout his life, he can't take it with him. This is what Solomon says. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Folks, the pursuit of wealth would say Solomon is an exercise in futility because you can't take it with you. Everyone enters the world with nothing, and everyone leaves the world under the sun with nothing. That's the way it is. Solomon cries out again, vanity of vanities, futility of futilities. This whole thing is empty and meaningless. Solomon would say, you know something? I know how to make money. I just don't know how to live life. That's what he would say. We should learn from him. And neither have many others since Solomon known how to live life. Consider these folks, for instance. In 1928, there was a special, kind of a clandestine meeting of some of the world's most financially successful personages of the day. Their secret meeting was to take place at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago, 1928. And here are some of the folks who were included in this by special invitation only meeting. Uh, one invited was the president of the largest utility company then. Another was the greatest wheat speculator in the world. Uh, Another was the president of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Then there was a a member of the president's cabinet. Uh, There was the greatest trader on Wall Street there. And there was the president of the Bank of International Settlements and the head of then the world's greatest monopoly. Together... This assemblage of financial power brokers possessed more combined wealth than was contained in the entire treasury of the United States of America. As a result, as you can imagine, many looked up to them. They were seen to be men of heroic proportion. Everyone esteemed them and desired to be like them. Well, what happened with each of these? I'll tell you. 25 years after this meeting in 1928, this is the course that the lives of each of these men uh, had taken. The president of the largest independent steel company, perhaps this name sounds familiar to you, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and then died completely broke. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died overseas, absolutely unable to pay his bills. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, his name is Richard Whitney, served a term in Sing Sing Prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, 
a fitting name, was pardoned from prison so that he could die with a little more respect at home. The greatest traitor on Wall Street was Jesse Livermore. He committed suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, also took his own life. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivar Druger, also committed suicide. Folks, do you see? These men, like Solomon, had lots of wealth and knew how to acquire it, but they didn't know how to live. It was all futility. They were trapped in this closed system of life under the sun. They knew not of spiritual realities. They focused obsessively on material things, what they could apprehend, what they could lay their hands on, what they could see and touch and smell. And they tried to squeeze out of it uh, the kind of enjoyment that you could only have from spiritual realities, but they wanted to short-circuit having to make recourse to the God who is above the Son, submitting to Him, yielding to Him, depending on Him, calling out to Him for help. Instead, they fashioned for themselves uh, a collection of financial gods who they worshipped, gave their affection to, and who ultimately left them busted, and in some cases having fallen so far below the line of despair that they thought the only way out uh, from this wretched life under the sun was to take their life, and some succeeded in doing so. They learned how to make money, but they didn't learn how to make something out of the gift of life because they did not know, don't you see? They did not know the giver of life. You cannot have spiritual well-being apart from the source thereof. You don't have to take it by faith. Solomon is evidence and Solomon-like figures since then add to the body of evidence the accumulation of stuff won't fill the void. It's a God-shaped void. It can only be filled by the person of Jesus Christ who takes up his residence in our life. You Can you see how wonderful it is to be rightly related to him? Can you see how desperate it is to be alienated uh, from him? So these men, Solomon and the others, were focused on the visible that's what Solomon means when he uses the term life under the sun. Focused on the earthly, on the temporal, on the material, on the visible. And if that's all there is, then all you have is futility, emptiness, vanity. Spiritual blessings cannot be bought. They cannot be purchased. They have to be received as gifts. And this is the stumbling block. Let's face it. Human pride keeps us from receiving freely the spiritual gifts that God wants to give us. 
Because then we'd have to say, thank you, God. Where would I be without you? We'd have to say, thank you for filling me to overflow. We'd have to say, oh, God, I was impoverished with regard to spiritual realities, and now I'm rich. Thank you. I honor you. I glorify you. I bow before you. Can you see the freeness of gifts is very costly a price to pay for prideful people who want to say, I did it, I acquired it, I achieved, I attained, I accomplished. I am the master of my destiny. The ones who attended that meeting in 1928 found out they were mastered. Too late they found out they were not the masters of their destiny. They were mastered by the things they thought they had control of. They literally sold their soul to the devil. Maybe there are one such as that even here now. Could I beseech you learn from this real historical personage, Solomon? This is not a fable. This is not a myth. This account has been recorded for us over these eons, thousands of years, so that we could see the one who has done what I'm trying to do much better than what I'm able to do. It came to the conclusion it's emptiness and vanity. Therefore... I might as well save myself from this mad striving after wind, the accumulation of stuff, this, this, the, 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 this unbridled appetite for more money and wealth is going to leave me short. You know, it's a better thing to do. Could I suggest this? Maybe if there's someone still here suffering from the malady of this mad pursuit after things and wealth, why not stop and say, it's over. Now I'm going to slow down and let the God who is pursuing me have me. Why try to run after non-gods? Others have tried better than you, failed. Why continue to run after non-gods when you can stop? Say enough is enough. Let the God who is lovingly pursuing you grab onto you, captivate you, and fill you. The fruit of the Spirit, not stock market, not world economy, not global, whatever. The fruit of the Spirit. I love this enumeration because it's everything we really want. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. Patience, self-control. You can't buy them. You can't acquire them. You can't deserve them. You can't earn them. They have to come by us saying, Oh God, Father, be my Father. Thank you. Though you be without a body, you be spirit. Thank you for occupying one. Coming into this space-time dimension in the form of Jesus Christ and fleshed. Thank you for piercing the space-time dimension in which I am entrapped. Thank you for coming here. Thank you for invading the darkness, spreading the light. 
so that I don't have to live here as if it's under the sun. Thank you for showing me above the sun realities. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Take up your abode. Let me experience the fruit of your spirit. I'm willing to surrender. I yield. I accept the gift. I don't deserve it. I can't buy it. I can't purchase satisfaction. <laughs> Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Spread the wealth, spiritual wealth, abroad in my life. Bless me with every spiritual blessing, the likes of which exist in the heavenlies above the sun. If you are a Christian, do you realize how good it is to be a Christian? I just, I just, I just, yeah, that was good. It went off at the right time. <laughs> it's a good note. It's a, look, 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 look. Don't take for granted the ransom, the redemption, the rescue. <laughs> Don't take for granted. You have peace? You have joy? Are you okay? Sure you are. Do you have a sense of meaning? I'm an ambassador for Christ. Are you kidding me? We represent the King of Kings. I think that's meaning enough for a little old you and me. God and son. God and daughter. I think that'll do fine. Nothing can get to it. Nothing can rob us of these spiritual blessings. You're not nervous about what's going on in the world, are you? What matters most cannot be forfeited. What are you worried about? What matters most cannot be... What could get... I think an excited Christian makes better living proof of a loving God to a really, really, really empty, desperately needy watching world. I think a bored Christian you ain't that attractive. Are you bored? Bored! You know, a little while ago, I talked to the one who created everything. I didn't find it boring at all. I talked to him. Oh, it's really good to be a Christian. Is you one? Good. <laughs> Ain't you one? Not good. Not good. We would love to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ before you go home tonight. Stick around. Let us talk to you. Our Father, we bow before you lovingly, gratefully. We're thrilled. We're excited. Oh, my goodness. Look what you did. You came. You captivated us. You saved us from... Uh, 
despair. You saved us from self-effort, self-reliance. You saved us from stuff, from materialism. You revealed to us the reality behind the scene, which really is the ultimate reality, Lord. The one of eternal value and consequence. You took up our, uh, your abode in our lives and we experience joy and peace and goodness and kindness and patience and love and self-control, the likes of which are not inherently ours. It's really, really, really good to be saved from it all. And Lord Jesus, we would love for you to spread the wealth through us, whether it be in Thailand, as we were invited to think about earlier, whether it be across the street, maybe even in this place now. We would love for you to spread the wealth of redemption and salvation um, into the lives of the one, the two, the others who maybe still yet have not yet let you Come in, take control, forgive sin, and spread spiritual riches abroad in their heart. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming again. We're not stuck under the sun. We're just occupying the territory on our way home. We have hope. We have meaning. We have purpose. It couldn't be better, no matter what's happening out there. It couldn't be better because we're citizens of an above-the-sun reality, citizens of heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Out of gratitude, we want to tell people about you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.